0: If you knew my dad, you would probably guess this about me. I have always loved sports. In fact, if after the sermon today you want to talk about the Iowa Hawkeyes, I am more than willing to do that. At some point today, we will probably be the number two ranked football team in the nation. Are we the second best team in the nation? <clears throat> probably not. But we've won. And so we get the ranking. Uh, Are there any Alabama fans here? Oh, no, see, I just crossed the line, didn't I? I just crossed the line. Um, In my younger and thinner days, I participated in them. One time when I was preaching, I called myself an athlete. And a friend said, Dave, is athlete really accurate? I participated in sports, let's, let's put it that way. Um, the best word for my career might be mediocre. Dad used to love telling the story of how I began my competitive athletic career. Back in my day, basketball games began with a jump ball at the beginning of every half. Not just the beginning of the game, but at every half. So, we had the jump ball at the beginning of the first half, and the ball was tipped to me. And I executed a dribble down, and I executed a perfect layup in the wrong basket. <laughs> At halftime, we lined up again. They tipped the ball to me. And once again, I executed a perfect layup in the wrong basket. I believe I was high score that day for the other team. And that's where it all began. In the semifinals of my college intramural basketball league, we were down by one point with time running out. I had the ball at the top of the key, and I dribbled through, got into the lane, and I shot what I thought was a beautiful floater, headed right for the basket. I was going to have glory as I put my team into the finals. Clank, hit the back of the rim. We lost. We were out. My dad used to call me the strikeout king in Little League. I struck out, I've got newspaper clippings, I struck out almost everybody that I pitched to, and almost every time I ever got into the plate, I struck out as well. I was pretty consistent about that. I, I won a few table tennis tournaments, that was probably the only time I was any good. But there was one thing that I competed at that I want to talk about today. When you look at me, what's the first athletic competition that comes to mind? I think what, not sumo, no, uh, I think what comes to mind is marathon running. Who's giggling? You don't know me well enough to, no. I have, if I counted correctly, competed in eight marathons over my life and finished five of them. I have the distinction of finishing dead last in two of them. And that's not easy to do. Uh, The last one, the first one was in 1980, and the last one was about 12 years ago. I think it was 2009. Uh, And I will tell you, there is nothing quite like finishing a marathon. I saw, I don't know if it was a meme on computer or a t-shirt recently that said, do people who run marathons know they don't have to? There's something to that. It is literally one of the most painful experiences of my life. Until I had some surgeries recently, I would have said it was the most painful experience of my life. Uh, The first marathon, as I was about 23 miles in, I began talking to God. Lord, if you will let me finish, I will never run again. Kind of one of those bunker, bunker promises you make to God. I will never run again. But crossing the finish line is the most glorious experience even when i crossed dead last they are the mo- it's the most glorious experience uh, when i crossed the white sands i went i did the baton death march M- baton memorial death march it, it's in white sands new mexico it, it commemorates the actual baton death march a lot of people from that death march were from the white sands new mexico area and uh, it took nearly all day. I was slow. Uh, I remember I was behind a really old guy in one of my first runs. And it said, be it ever so humble, there's no pace like slow, which I thought was good. But uh, I crossed the finish line, and I just, I just burst into tears. They were tears of joy. And the finish is so joyful because the race is such agony. It is the agony of the race that makes the finish line such joy. And that's actually true. The Greek word for race or any athletic competition is agon. A-G-O-N in our transliteration. And that's the word we get our word agony from. Agony is the experience of struggling through a competition until you reach the goal. It means contest, struggle. In Hebrews 12.1, which is our text today, the Christian life is described as a race, a painful struggle, yes, an agony. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this thing that has happened in America in the last year and a half, there's this thing called COVID, coronavirus. I had a little experience with that last year. There's some variants going around. And it kind of slapped us upside the head, didn't it? I, uh, I spoke at a men's conference in Cedar Rapids a few weeks ago, and there were several pastors there. And I, I just talked about how wearying it is to minister in the COVID era. And all the pastors were like... And I'm not even talking about... I'm not saying it's just for pastors living in this era. It's just like, are we going to have another shutdown? Do we have to wear masks? Do we this, do we that? We're fighting over things we didn't even think of. I mean, what are we going to find to fight over next week? And it's just wearying to live in this era. It's just slapped us upside the head. And the Christian... We're learning again the lesson... That the Christian life isn't easy. This world is not our home. We're citizens of heaven living in enemy territory, and it's not gonna be easy. Let's let's read Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, uh, which says, therefore, since we have since we are we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us run. Okay, there let, let's read it off of here. I, I brought the wrong Bible. My mom and dad have oh, I can read it off the back there. That's fantastic. My mom and dad have 472 million Bibles in their home. And I grabbed uh, the wrong translation this morning. But uh, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who... For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, what people really love when they come to church on Sunday morning is a Greek lesson. Amen? They love to hear people exposit what the Greek text says. Here in this passage, is pretty important. I, I know you probably all, I think, probably tend to use the English Standard Version, which is better on this passage than a lot of different Bibles But what happens here is we have, some Bibles have as many as three different commands in this passage. What you have here in the Greek text is one command and two, try to control your glee, one command and two participles. Hallelujah? One command, two participles. The command tells you what you're supposed to do. The participles basically tell you how to do it, okay? The command is run with perseverance. That's the main point of the whole passage. Run with perseverance. The participles, which are basically uh, lay aside every hindrance and the sin and keeping our eyes on Jesus, those are the participles. They tell you how you can run with perseverance. And so as you... As you focus on this, that's kind of what we need to look at. Now, I don't know who wrote Hebrews, and I've heard a lot of arguments. I got into a discussion of this a week or so ago, and I'm quite convinced that anybody that says they know who wrote Hebrews is more confident than they ought to be. I don't think it was Paul. I'm pretty sure of that. But uh, whoever wrote Hebrews knew Paul and was probably under his influence and had Come under Paul's love of sports. There's a description of Paul in a history, a contemporary history somewhere back there, that described him as a short, fat, bald guy with bad eyes. <clears throat> is he out here? I, uh, but he loves sports. Paul, I, I think the, the P in ESPN is for Paul. He talked about wrestling. (coughs) He talked a lot about running. I don't know if he did any of it, but he talked a lot about it. He talked about running the race, about pressing on toward the goal, finishing his race. He wanted to boast in Christ that he had not run for nothing. He asked the Galatians why, when they were running a good race, they allowed someone to cut them off and send them off course. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 on, he says, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race but only one receives the prize. He says, run to win the prize. He talks about exercising, self-control, and not running aimlessly. <coughs> or boxing is one who beats the air. <coughs> I apologize for this. I did fine in the early service. Someone here is causing me problems. <coughs> Are there any Red Sox fans here? Because I would blame them. <coughs> it's got to be the Red Sox man. Maybe a Braves fan. It'd be you over there, wouldn't it? All right, here we go. Anyway, as we, uh, as we look through this passage today, <sighs> I want to make three points and uh, some sub-points as well. We're just going to kind of wade through this and I'll try to I noticed that there was no clock in the Pioneer Church, uh, and when I got here, there was a clock here. Now, maybe that clock was there last week, or maybe someone said we got to make sure there's a clock at this church so that Dave can see what he's what he's doing. But uh, <clears throat> let me make a couple of points here. First of all, we are in a race. We're running a race. The Christian life is a marathon that begins the moment you trust Christ. Now, in a room with this many people, I would be a a fool to believe that every one of you has entered the race. It begins at the moment that you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, recognizing that you have no hope eternally and no hope for the forgiveness of sins outside of Jesus Christ in this world. And if you have not received the salvation that Jesus Christ gives, I encourage you not to wait until the end of the service. <coughs> I encourage you right now to trust Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and putting your faith in him right now, this very minute. <coughs> While I cough, you you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Um because he is the only hope that you have his death paid for your sins his life offers you new life and you can have eternal hope in him from the moment that you trust jesus christ as your savior and your lord you begin a race that race starts at your conversion it ends when you see jesus face to face Whether you, like my dad a year ago today or my mom on Monday, you go to see him. Or whether he comes you know, whether it's his second coming and you, you know, he comes for us. You go see him. And it's not a sprint. There are a lot of Christian sprinters. They get out there and they run lickety. I never was a sprinter. Those guys impress me, but they don't run very long. They run fast and then they're All of a sudden, I've known a lot of guys or women who did great things for a little while, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. Whatever happened to such and such? he, He wore himself out. They were doing great things for a minute, for a month, maybe a year, but they wore out. You know, when I did those baton death marches, I had a friend with me. He was head of the DEA in the Sioux City area. His name was Tommy, and we came up with a word for what we did. We trudged. We weren't fast. Oh, we weren't fast. But we just kept going. We trudged. And I think one of the best things Christians can do is trudge. Look, the Christian world has a lot of sprinters. Flashy men, flashy women who who get a lot of glory, get a lot of press, get... And all of a sudden they flamed out. We need trudgers who just put one foot in front of the other and just keep going. Who, when it gets hard, they just trudge. Who, when somebody criticizes them, they don't quit. When life is tough, they don't stop. We need, I'm going to make t-shirts, trudging for Jesus. That's how I'll retire on my trudging for Jesus t-shirts. I'm not that much of an entrepreneur. But folks, we don't need sprinters. I mean, it's nice if every once in a while when the wind's at your back and you're downhill, take a sprint. It won't kill you. It might be, but... But trudge. When it's hard, just keep going. It's long and it's tough and there's uphill sections. But you need a marathoner's mentality. You've got to trudge. See, a marathoner understands that the race is agony. The Christian life has a lot of joys. Knowing Christ and experiencing His presence, there are joys. The fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sin, the hope of eternity. But too many believers think that Christian life is just one long vacation. Marathoning is a grueling time. It's a painful race. The prophet Amos said, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. We've bought into this idea that the Christian life ought to be easy. Probably everyone here would reject those televangelists who say, well, they just preach the health and wealth gospel. But we have bought into a watered-down version of that, that if I'm just walking with Jesus, everything's going to go well in my life. If I just love Jesus enough and read the Bible enough, everything's going to work out. Listen, I challenge you to do something. You read the Bible... And Mark, every time somebody has an encounter with God in the Old Testament or with Jesus in the New Testament, and ask yourself this, after the encounter with God or with Jesus, does their life get easier or harder? I think Abraham was having a pretty easy time up there in Heron. It's herding sheep. Well, it it's pretty exciting, but wasn't that hard. It was wealthy guy, God shows up. He's got to leave his home and his family. Moses was bored to death in the desert of Midian, but he sees a burning bush, and all of a sudden he's got to go face Pharaoh who wanted to kill him. Paul's life, look at 2 Corinthians 11. They beat Paul five times. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He was constantly lied about. Paul's life was a mess, but he said, these are my light and momentary afflictions. He said, knowing Jesus is worth it all. But it's not going to be easy. The concept of sweating and suffering and sacrificing the things of this world to gain spiritual, to gain heavenly treasure, to gain rewards, it's become unthinkable. I'm serving Jesus, so he'll make me a success. So he'll help me win to get ahead. Our our rewards are all temporal now. And that's not what the Bible says. We've got to get back that marathoner's mentality that says, I'm willing to stick it out. I'm going to keep trudging on for Jesus, no matter how hard it gets in this life. Marathoners run the race. It says, run the race that is marked out for you. The race, you know, you don't get to pick the course. There have been a few days in my life, a year ago today would not be a day that I would have picked. Monday would not be a day I would have picked. The day I heard the word coronavirus would not be a day I'd pick. There's several days that if God said which, which day, I would not have picked those days. But I don't get to pick the, the course. Now there are choices you can make that will they'll alter your course. You can make wise choices that will you know improve your life and bad choices that will make it a lot harder but um, but on the death march there was a seven mile uphill slog it was hard and there was a sand pit you know why they call it a sand pit because it was a mile and a half long pit of sand it's a very creative name sand pit it was hard and if I was going to run that course, I didn't get to pick the course. If I was going to, When I say run that course, that is a creative term. I trudged the course. But I didn't get to pick the course. I had to go the race that was marked out for me. And there were parts I liked. If you look at me, you will realize that going up the hill, gravity is not my friend. Gravity hates me. The downhills, look, on a bicycle, I can beat Lance Armstrong on a downhill. Whoosh, Uphill, it ain't good. But I don't get to pick the course. I've got to run the course. God sometimes gives us downhills with the wind at our backs, and that's great. But sometimes it's uphill with rocky terrain. Sometimes it's sand pits. Sometimes it's 2020 and 2021. And we can spend all of our time complaining about how bad the world is. I don't know you folks, so I can say this, and it won't be personal, Well, what good does it do to go on Facebook or whatever and complain about how bad the world is? Let's trudge for Jesus and do something about it. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and make a difference. But just, we 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 got a race to run. The greatest things that have happened in history have come when the world is at its darkest. The light shines its brightest then. And so our job is not to complain about the course, but to run it or trudge it. For Jesus Christ. We run to win. Now this may sound like I'm saying something different than I just said because I said just trudge. You win by trudging because winning is finishing the race. It's one of the things about marathoning. There are guys that win. They're those little guys that weigh about four pounds. All legs. Back in 2006, the Sioux City Marathon, I finished dead last. Two hours behind anyone else, they closed the course. The guy was packing up everything, putting it in the, in his station wagon. He's like, we, we wondered what happened to you. We thought you'd gotten lost or something. He gave me a trophy for finishing, because he said, man, I'm glad you you didn't get you know nothing happened to you. My fastest marathon was my first marathon, the Dallas White Rock Marathon in 1980. I ran. I forget so much. I ran three hours, 54 minutes, 59.7 seconds. That point seven was important. That's just under nine minutes per mile. I was doing a lot faster than that until the last few miles. We'll talk about that again. But I tell you, there were, a, there were like 3,100 people that started, and I finished 1,491st in that race. Do you know what that means? It means I beat about half the people, and I lost to about half the people. What is, the, what is that called? Mediocre. I, I, I beat about it. I was average. It was mediocre. And I was thrilled. I'm still talking about it 40 years later. And the fact is that many of us, isn't there like a country gospel song about all I want is a little shack in the corner of heaven or something like that? We should never be satisfied with anything less than God's best for us. We, you were saved, if you've been saved, to make a difference in this world. You were saved, you were not saved to live for Jesus the way I, I was, I was happy if they just put me in the game and I got to run around a little bit. You were not saved to live for Jesus the way I played sports. You were saved to make a difference. To run to the finish line. To trudge for Jesus every day of your life until you see Him face to face. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. Walk in holiness. Walk in power. Seek Jesus every day. How do you do that? You cast off every weight that hinders you. I ran my first marathon in a pair of army boots with ankle weights around my ankles. you believe me? Let me tell you something. If I wore shorts today, as short as the ones I wore when I ran my first marathon, you would want to poke your eyes out. <laughs> it was the 80s. We did that stuff back then. But I wore these little shorts and uh, a, a, a tank top and little white running shoes, little running shoes. It was back when Nikes were new. Actually, I think I wore Brooks. brook. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But I, I wore, I, my clothes were so light, they, I bet they weighed about a third of an ounce. I don't know. I, I, you get as light as you can because you don't want to carry any extra weight. That's what you do. You get rid of anything that's going to weigh you down. And this talks about two things. First of all, the sin that entangles you. There may be people here today with a sin that entangles you. You know Jesus, but you still let the sins of this world entangle you. Maybe it's a secret sin that nobody knows about. And Romans 6 says that the blood of Christ cleanses us from sin, but it also breaks those chains of sin The power of sin is broken so that if you walk in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can walk free of that sin. It may not be easy. It may not happen miraculously all at once. But if you fight the fight, that sin that grips you can be, and you need to cast it off so that you can run with perseverance. You cannot walk in the blessing of God and trudge for the glory of God while you're still carrying that, you know, 10-pound bucket of sin with you. But there's also other things. There's, there's. It says just the weights that, that weigh us down. Not the sin, but but weights. So often in my life, things that aren't sinful have become weights. I could tell story after story. I'll tell one. Because after I ran that first marathon, I began to train a lot more. I was in seminary. And by this time I had switched over, had gotten right with God, and switched over to Southwestern. And <laughs> I had... Uh, I'd take some quarrel with that, but we'll we'll you know we'll we'll let it go for now. But I I I I had started to drop my times in various races. I was getting faster and faster, and I found myself when I was sitting in class, I was thinking about my next training run, I was thinking about my next race. Racing was beginning to consume my thinking all the time. And I, I was about a half a month from graduation and i i ran a race on a saturday morning it was a 4 mile race i ran for me a really good time I, let's just the olympics were not calling my name it's not like that or anything but for me it was a really good time and i was thinking about it and that afternoon i heard not an audible voice but i heard the holy spirit saying this is becoming an idol in your heart you need to give it up and i struggled And I said, Lord, I I can't do that. (laughs) And you may need to just stop listening to me because I said something so dumb that anybody that said this to God shouldn't be preaching in public. But I said, God, if you want me to stop running, you're going to have to take running away from me. Is that something that anybody should say to God? Do you know the rest of the story? You can guess, right? That was a Saturday. I went to church Sunday. Monday, I got up and ran an 11 mile training run. And then I went to the gym to play basketball for a couple hours. I was in really good shape. And I went up for a rebound. And I came down. I think it was a guy named Harry Layden, I think. We called him Heavy Laden. Are you weak and heavy laden? Because he was kind of big. But uh, I think it was him, but I came down on his foot, and I rolled my ankle really bad. I graduated from seminary on crutches, and that's when I started gaining weight. It, I never did run competitively again. If I ran, it was just, that, that was it. And I thought, why would I say that to God? He, God's not mean. I told that story once, a guy got mad at me. God, God's not mean, but he is jealous for his glory. And if I tell him I'm going to do what I want to do and not what he does, he's like, no, Dave, you're mine. And I told him, if you don't want me running, if you want me to give up this idol, you're going to have to take this idol away from me. And he jolly well did. And if you think that's God being mean, well, I don't think it's God being mean. I think that's God saying I'm the Lord. But all I'm saying is he wants us He wants us to focus on Him and love Him and give it all to Him. And there may be... I've had that same thing with sports. I remember... I said I was going to tell one story. I remember this one. I I love the Yankees. How many of you can remember 2004? The Yankees had a three-game lead on Boston, and Boston then won four straight games. And I remember watching the Boston fans celebrate at the end of winning that, and I was just looking at them with such hate, and again, the Holy Spirit began to speak to my heart and say, how dare you hate people that I love and for whom my son died just because they cheer for a different team than you do. My dad once was preaching in Alabama the day after the Alabama-Auburn game. If you know Alabama football fans, they're pretty intense. And the preacher said, Lou, don't mention the game. My dad, A, loved sports, B, loved to joke. The preacher said, Don't mention the game. And dad said, These people can't be saved. They got a God. It's called football. And he was kind of joking about that a little bit. But if we have if, if if we can't joke, I mean that my heart was sinful. That was an idol. And God has had to work on that with me. I, I can't say that one's completely gone yet. But I've had several things. We've got to throw off those weights. If there's something that is so important to you that it, it rivals God's, your affection for God, uh, you've got to deal with that. I've got to move on. Marathoners focus on the finish line. Remember that T-shirt? Do people that run marathons know they don't have to? Why would anyone run a marathon? I'll tell you why. For the joy of crossing the finish line. Has anyone else run a marathon here? Anyone? Okay, do you know what I'm talking about? Crossing that finish line is just like, it's just so glorious. And yeah, you know, you lose weight and you get in shape and all that, but it is painful. But crossing the finish line is just amazing. Why would you serve Jesus? Because if you read the Bible, it is not easy. Anyone that tells you serving Jesus is easy is lying to you. Anyone that tells you that serving Jesus is going to give you health, wealth, and an easy life is lying to you. It's hard. You live in a world where the prince of the power of the air has seduced and lied to people and they are moving in one direction. And you, Is it easy to drift with the current? Yes. Is it easy to swim upstream? No. We swim upstream. We stand against the tide. I used to play a game at the beach where I'd stick my feet in the sand and try not to move when the waves hit. The bigger the waves, the harder. That's why we are. We're in a heavy... Waves and we're st- and we're trying to stand, and the waves are trying to knock us over. It's hard. It's not easy, folks. We have to stand. We have to stand. Why do we do it? Because one day, like my dad did a year ago today, Barbara went in. To get him in the morning, he was gone. Monday, we all stood around and watched my mom. Her breath gradually got rougher and rougher and eventually stopped. And we know when her eyes closed in this world, she saw Jesus face to face. And there was no more pain, no more cancer, no more struggles. And all of the troubles of this world. Do you know? And I I, I don't know if there's a charismatic church near here, but please don't jump. There are no politics in heaven. Can I get a hallelujah? (laughs) There's a king and he's sitting on the throne and he's not running for office. It's glorious. And when you cross that finish line, when I crossed the finish line of the first race, there was a famous race, Dr. wrote a whole bunch of books. His name was Dr. Cooper. And he saw me. I was in such bad shape, he came running to me to see if I was okay. I was on the ground. I was miserable. I was, uh, how do you say it? Whatever was in me was coming out. See it. He came running over me. In my heart was such joy the end was horrible. It was glorious. It was glorious. And this world is hard. And it hurts. But trudge for Jesus because the end is going to be glorious. When you see Jesus and one glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase we have a cheering section that's the last bit here this passage reminds us that we have a great cloud of witnesses it doesn't just mean a bunch of people clapping for us that's nice I came around the on the first marathon in Dallas we came it was around a lake and I was as I said 1,491st that meant a lot of people had finished for me they were there with their families and so there was a lot of people we came through and we we came around the lake And there was a rope, and there were a lot of people lining, they were cheering for me. I was, I, I hit the wall. You ever heard of that phrase, hitting the wall? I hit the wall hard about 20 miles in, 21 miles in, 21 and a half miles in, and I didn't think I could make it. I kept going, pushing through, and finally, when I got there, and these people were cheering me on, I picked it up. And I thought I was sprinting. If I had video of it, I probably wasn't, honestly. I probably wasn't, but I felt like I was sprinting to the finish line until I collapsed and Dr. Cooper came running over. But it felt like it. Now, folks, there's going to be days when you hit the wall. There's going to be days when your life, you you get a phone call, you get a diagnosis, somebody hurts you, something happens to you, and you don't think you can go another step. It's usually when you're just cruising along and everything's great and then bam, it just hits you. You don't think you can do it. Some days maybe you just feel the weight of your own sin and the guilt. And if you listen, you can hear the voice of Cain's brother Abel saying to you, the blood sacrifice cleanses from all sin. You've got a you've got those who've gone on before saying The sacrifice works. You can hear Enoch whisper that faith, a life of faith, pleases God and elevates us to the heavenly places. You can hear Noah say, think about Noah. Year after year after year, building a boat when it doesn't rain. Noah, what are you doing building a boat? Why? Because it's going to flood. Noah, there's no rain in the forecast. I'm doing what I'm doing. And he just kept on doing it. Just, he said, just keep obeying God. When you, when you don't understand why, you just keep obeying God and doing what you're... Be faithful. Trudge on. And God will do what He's supposed to do. When God's promises don't seem to be fulfilled, you can hear Abraham cheering you on and saying, Hold on, my friend. In God's time, the answer will come. Moses You ever had a task that God gave you that was bigger than you? Listen to me. If you got a task from God, it's bigger than you. Show me one time in the Bible where God gave someone a task that wasn't bigger than them. God's tasks are always bigger than people. And Moses says, listen, the size of your task is insignificant. It's the size of your God that matters. I am who I am. And when your enemies overwhelm you, Listen for Joshua who says, Remember, your God is bigger than your enemies. And my friends, just press on. Run with perseverance. Trudge on in the name of Jesus until you cross that finish line and imagine the joy of hearing the two greatest words any of us can ever hear. Well done. Well done. That's what we're running for. We're not running for money. We're not running for fame. We're running, we're trudging to the finish line to hear the Savior say, well done. Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to hear you say, well done. In Jesus' name, amen.